church. Good to see everybody this morning. Now, I am reading a book. It's actually an autobiography of Bono, U2 fame. It's called Surrender. It's a book uh, called Surrender, 40 songs about his life and kind of where he is today. And I'm actually, I'm listening to it as an audio book. And it's kind of a neat experience hearing somebody read their, their book. Uh, if you ever heard him talk, obviously he's Irish, and, and so you got to kind of get that, that Irish accent as he reads his book, and you can tell how passionate he is about the stories he's telling and just kind of the way it all flows and, and fits together. Uh, I, I really like reading books of people I've heard speak because it's almost conversational in nature about how you, you, you read to them. It kind of goes to his life, and there's this one scene in his life where his mother dies, and she dies young while he's a young man, probably 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, her father had just died, and, and they were at the graveside, and she had a stroke at the graveside, and she never recovered and passed away, and, and he was a young, young, young person at that point. He kind of talks about how he dealt with that and kind of walked through all that, how that affected his, his songwriting, his life, his career. Some years later, he met who... Allie, who is his wife now, they've been married, kind of beating the, the record of, of rock and roll, if you will. They've been married for 40 years at this point. They've got uh, several kids and kind of a, a beautiful story. But he talks about meeting Allie and, and how through the process of meeting her and talking to her that, that his, his intent on her or his intent with, with relationship with her moved from this kind of this infatuation, this teenage, preteen infatuation to, to love. And he talked about how that was working out and how he was working on that. And he said, I started to feel something that I didn't really understand. And he used this terminology, and this is, this is kind of my paraphrase of it. He, he said, my heart had fallen asleep. He said, when my mom died, and that's the words of you, you know, the, 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 the vernacular there. He said, when my mom died, it's like my heart fell asleep. And now that I was in this relationship with this girl, it was like my heart was starting to stir, my heart was starting to wake, and he said, it's almost as if I didn't want it to wake up. Now what an amazing way to put that, right? My heart, my, not the physical, but the emotional, my, my heart had, had gone to sleep, and it's like I really, I didn't care for it to come back to life. Now let's be honest, how many of us fell in love with God and fell in love with this ideology of God that was sunshine and roses and great things. And, and as we looked at it, we, we came to look at God. And even if you grew up in a, in a fundamental church, such as I did, you, you still came to view God as something that was really, really good as long as I did all the right things. Like it was this puzzle that I was trying to put together. And if I put the puzzle together right, then everything would what? Everything would be right. Everything would be okay. All the, if I crossed all the, the T's and dotted all the I's, everything would be right. And, and so it, it, it was almost this fairy tale view of a walk with God and how my life would be and how life would be in general. But then, you know what happened? I came up against people that weren't nice. I came up against situations that weren't fair. I stumbled into a life that wasn't easy. And I wonder and maybe you do too, I wonder what happened to that God that I fell in love with. What happened to that fairy tale of a walk with God that I envisioned would be my life when I walked away from church meetings that weren't really meetings at all, but were fights. When I look on the news and I see death and decay and destruction everywhere, 
When I look at our political scene and see the immense dysfunction of it, and how we as Christians have been dragged into it, and how God gets used as a weapon, how God has been weaponized within the political sphere. And I think quietly, and without realizing it, my heart has gone to sleep. I can almost pinpoint the times, the, the moments in which it started to happen, and the spiral that it took me down to. And so my heart has gone, and, and I'm, I'm with Bonner right here. I'm not sure as I look around and I see the world as this day that I really want my heart to be woke. The prospect, right? The prospect of seeing and loving people like God has called me as a follower of His, as a professed follower of His, seems a little difficult. Because I know what the other side looks like. I know how dangerous it can be to love like God has called us to be. Sitting in a meeting last week, talking about these, this text and some other texts, it was really interesting. Uh, Jeff Brown, the, the preacher at Woodmont, he was talking about, you know, if we took Jesus' name off of some of the things that he did, and we put somebody else's name in there, and we watched all the things that he did, would we sit back and say, hmm, that person is wise? You're going to go to Jerusalem when? You're going to say what to who? You're going to do what? Like, would we encourage our children to act like that? Would we think that is wise? Being called to love like God calls us to love is almost unfathomable. Or to see people, that's, a, that's kind of where we're at this point, right? To see people as God has called us to see people, almost, it's almost, you know, in, <laughs> unjustifiable. A couple weeks ago, uh, the family and I, we went over to the Cherry Blossom Festival in downtown. Cherry Blossom just recently bloomed. and So there's this, this, this really fascinating event that happens. It's, down, it's downtown. And it's a really neat mixture. You've never been down there. It's a really neat mixture of, of this whole Asian culture. These cultures kind of come together, the martial arts and the food and the costumes and the music and all this stuff kind of comes together. And I don't think it, I don't need to say it, but I'm going to say it. Our culture and their culture is different. Very, very different in certain ways. And, and so there was a lot of interesting looking people, a lot of interesting looking stuff. And, and as you look around different ways in which uh, Americans have co-opted some of what they, they do in their culture, and, and, and so just a lot of, I can't, any other way to say it, it was an interesting time. I enjoyed it. Like, it was very, very good. I love, I, we love taking our boys and experiencing other cultures and kind of exposing them to different, that, that their way of life is not the only way of life. I think some of the best things we can do as parents. And i got to confess, there were times when I was walking around and I was looking around at people and I was going, oh, what? Why are you dressed like that? Why, what is this? What, what is this? And I, I, I fully believe, and I don't say this lightly, I fully believe that in the midst of that, God spoke into my soul. Because as I stood around and we took our dog with us, and, and so Buddy and I, sometimes we kind of stand back in the crowd because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of dogs, and he was very anxious in the midst of all. So we'd kind of stand back and we'd stand back and, and just kind of look around. I, I would look around and I would say, and, and the thought that kind of kept rolling through my mind is, how do you think God sees you? Like we look, we look around and we see people that don't look like us. We look around and see people that don't act like us. We look around and we see people that aren't like us. And we sit back and we want to shake our heads and almost stand in judgment of them. But when God calls us and invites us to the table, and we'll talk about this again near the end of the sermon, when God calls us to the table, don't you think that God looks at us sometimes and thinks, why do you come here looking like that? 
not in the, the physical view, right? But how, how do you come here looking like that with your attitudes of anger, your attitudes of strife, your attitudes of judgment, and, and all the different sins that we carry, all the different realities that we carry to the table that God invites us still to come? And even though He looks at us, and sometimes I have no doubt that He shakes His head, it does not impact, nor does it affect the way He loves us. Or how He welcomes us. And the fact that He loves us in spite of who we are, and in spite of the sins that we carry. And isn't it amazing that we serve a God that accepts us and loves us in spite of how bad we fail at times? Aren't you happy about that? I'm happy about that. I'm happy that we aren't living in a checklist world with God. And here's what I know, right? I'm 100% aware of the reality that we aren't God. That I can't see like God. That I can't understand like God. But that does not free me from walking that road. Just because I cannot attain the greatest thing out there, which is God's love and God's will and God's work, does not mean that I have the opportunity to say, well, that's just too hard a road to walk, so I'm not going to walk may not be able to act and think and see perfectly, but it does not excuse me from the reality that I am called to walk that road anyway. And it is a sign, I fully believe, it is a sign of a heart that has gone to sleep and does not want to be woke up when we don't want to even envision a different worldview, a different way of looking at people, a different way of accepting or whatever you want to say about people. I think it's a sign that we have lost our connection to God and we've let our hearts go to sleep. And if we're honest, we really don't want to be woke up. And so our text for this morning, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. In the text that, that I, in the, in the version that I read from, which was the easy to read version, the, the heading there was love everybody which I think is a pretty astounding way to say it, right? Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in, also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, have a good seat, but say the poor man, you stand over there or sit down there at my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law down in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you still break the law. So how about this? Speak and act as those who, have been who, who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without what? Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what is the crux of that first section there, that one through seven? Where it talks about the poor guy and the rich guy coming in. Is it just about being poor or being rich? Now, there's a lot of meat on the bones on this whole passage right here. We can spend the whole time talking about what that looks like because really where you find yourself in your socioeconomic class, where you find yourself in that range really determines how much you rely on. Now, we may not want to put it like that. We may not want to understand that or even talk about that. But those that live in less than optimal economic situations tend to view walking with God as what? Necessary. And those that live on the other end of the spectrum, being the rich end of the spectrum, they, t- they, tend, to t- they tend to treat God as what? Almost like a safety valve, right? Something just in case, a plan B. If nothing else, if, if I can't achieve it myself, then I've still got God to fall back. So the reality is, is that your socioeconomics plays into how you embrace God and how you rely upon whether we want to say that out loud or understand it, that is a core part of who we are. We like the idea of God being there just in case. But since then, we who are rich really don't have a need for it. Adjusting or adapting our lifestyle to what he calls us is not really a priority. Because look, I, I do, I've got to take care of number one, I've got to take care of me. And so I guess verses one through seven really is about whether you're rich or poor, or whether you understand where you are, because that determines how seriously we take our call to walk the walk that God has called us to, or that is leading us to, or the path that Jesus has drawn us to. And what that has to do with favoritism is how we view each other. How we view God dictates how we view each other. You immediately see each other and we size each other up. We put people in categories. The poor person can stand over there because they're not really going to bring much to the game. And the rich person, we're going to want them to sit right here because they're they're bringing a lot to the game, right? In churches, let me tell you, and I've been I've been there, done that. In churches, and, and we're not a typical church. Let me just say that. Right? I worked 14 years in a church where every Sunday morning, when somebody came in the door, our whether it was a verbal thing or not, our thing was okay. Who is this person? What do they bring into the table? If a young family came in with young kids, that was like a gold mine, right? Because that was an immediate bump in, in, in kids' ministry. That's an immediate bump in a lot of stuff. And so we look at them we, and we, we value them based on what they bring to the table, not the fact that they are people created in the image of God. Eugene Peterson's written a book recently called Jump Over the Wall. And Murray tackles the issue. This may sound funny, but I believe we all need to understand this. He tackles the issue of why it is so hard to make friends as adults. And he uses he says, the key issue, and I haven't read this book fully, I've heard some excerpts, the key issue for us as adults making friends is that we tend to view each other and size each other up immediately, then we place in certain categories 
about who they are and what they can do, what, who you are and what you can do or not do for me. And he uses some number, and I, I, I wish I'd gone back and found it, but I think it's like 20 seconds. In 20 seconds, we determine your usefulness in my life, and so we determine how we can exploit that. And that's how we determine whether we let somebody in or whether we keep them out there on the edges and have them stand over the side of our lives. And he, he says, how about instead of seeing people as something you can use, how about you start seeing people as ones created in the image of God? And that their value and their worth is not up for your estimation. Somebody's value, somebody's worth is not up to you. God's established that. And he says, James says here as he writes, he says, we, we obviously have rich, we have use for the rich because they can bring something to us and the poor we don't have much use for. And so we tend to view the poor as something of a project that we have to take on to take care of or a nuisance that we have to avoid. And all too often, I love the language here, and it, it speaks directly into our reality, right? He says, all too often, the ones that you endear yourself to are the ones who are dragging you into court, mocking God and doing all the things that you shouldn't even be a part of. But instead, you embrace them and you run to them and you want them to be part of your group. And if we move past verses 1 through 7, as hard as that language is, we move into verses 8 through 11, it's hard to handle too. Because James... Again, pulling the favoritism thread through, he says, look, you can't pick and choose which part of God's way you want to follow. Like we're not at a buffet picking which part we want and which part we don't want. And although we'd like to think that we're better because we haven't murdered somebody, judgment is the same thing because it's all sin. And that's a tough one for us to swallow, right? Because murdering someone's a pretty big deal. Hating somebody? I didn't hurt, I didn't hurt her, right? You see, but we have to get to, to something that's even... <laughs> it's even deeper than just the outward show of sin. What it is is the inward reality of sin. And the inward reality of sin is separation from God. And then the outcome, the outflow of it, what it looks like to the world is how it displays itself. But the, the reality is the foundational issue there of sin with God is separation from God and broken relationship with God. And so when we break relationship with God, it's going to flow out in somewhere. It's going to become evident in some way or the other. And James says, if you want to live by a checklist, okay, you miss one, you miss them all. It's past fail. Which is kind of harsh, but it is if that's the world you want to live in. So if we want to judge people based on how they look or how they talk or how they act, we show partiality in that. And then we'll get the same judgment poured back on ourselves. And so he says, instead of that, how about this? How about we behave and act like we understand mercy? James says there's a better way for us to look at life. There's a better way for us to approach life. There's a better way for us to see people. How about we understand and we accept and we live that we have been given mercy. And we understand that that informs how we live our lives. 
if judging and judgment is the way we want to live our life, if that's what we choose, standing before God is going to be a difficult moment because God is going to give us the same judgment we poured out on somebody else. But mercy, mercy always wins over judgment. And praise be to our God for that. Because without mercy, none of us are going to make it. Without mercy, none of us have a chance. And so we don't see the world the way we used to. We see the way the world through God's eyes. Or at least we try to. We sit back and we look and we, we try not to let our judgment raise up and rear up and cause us to hate and be angry all the time. One of the more famous YouTube songs is, is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If you, I'm, I've got kids, right? So I, if you've seen the movie Sing 2, in the movie Sing 2 at the end, the guy plays Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, and like it's this big anthem. It's a really neat song. And if you go back, you can see on YouTube, you can see the original, and it doesn't even look like Bono. If you look, know what Bono looks like today, you look back at that. The first watch, I was like, this doesn't look like the right one. Right? Because it was made back in the 80s, right? And I'm like, this isn't the Bono I know. But it's this amazing, and, and you really listen to it, Mike. Listen to the words. In the first half of the song, he talks about all the things that he's done to try and find meaning in life. I'm the highest mountain. Kissed all these people. Done all this stuff. And then he says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then he rolls over in the second half of the, of the song, and he talks about gospel things. Don't be shocked by that. Go and listen to it. He talks about gospel things. He talks about Jesus and the cross and things that go on. And, and, he, and he's struggling with this tension. If you read his book and you listen to his book, and he talks early on about this tension he had between his faith and becoming a rock star and what that might do to his faith and how they almost, they almost destroyed their band because they didn't, they didn't want to lose their faith. They didn't want to lose, lose their, their walk with God. And, and it was funny because they had this manager who they'd signed a contract with. And they all decided to end the band. They went and they sat out with this guy. And, and they said they'd had this religious epiphany. And they decided this wasn't what they were going to want to be because this wasn't what they thought God was calling them to. And this guy says, now, is this God that you serve one that would encourage you to break contracts? Yeah. <laughs> right? And so they're like, well, no. And so they stick together. And now they are who they are. But he talks about all this stuff. And it may seem fatalistic when you're trying to live in this tension of, I'm going to try all this stuff and it doesn't matter. It almost takes us back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 where the preacher says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. If you have a modern translation, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. He said, I tried all this stuff. And you see, if we just endeavor to look at the world through our own eyes, we will no doubt get lost in a sea of nothingness. We become so beaten down, so trodden under that we won't be able to raise our head and live and walk. I don't. I know it frustrates my wife because she's a news person, news junkie. I'm not. I don't even want to hear some of the stuff going on in the world today because it almost makes me want to be. It, it, it turns me into a vigilante almost. I don't know if that's the right word to even use because when you you live and you you. you you, you become so entrenched in the news and because all the news is bad stuff, right? And I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but like you can't help but, but just see all the bad stuff going on and going on. And it, would, it doesn't take long for you to almost sit back and wonder, where is God? So I stay away from that stuff, mainly because I don't want to lose my faith. 
I believe that our God is still alive. I believe our God is still moving in this world. I believe that God calls us to walk with Him and work with Him. And I think that anything that draws us away from that is not a good thing. Not a good thing. Because we can get trapped in that meaningless, meaningless, it's all, it doesn't matter, so why even try? And sometimes we can't find what we're looking for because we're looking with the wrong eyes. We're wrapped up in our own world and we can't see beyond what's happening in our own world. And again, it's a table that God calls us to. And He says, come, let's commune, let's talk together, let's be together. Regardless of the, the, the baggage you're carrying, regardless of the way you're coming, let's come and let's be together and let's re- renew, let's revive who we are and what we are. Despite our sins and despite our silliness, He still says, come on. And he invites us to look around at the other people gathered with us, gathered with us around the table, not with judgment, not with anger, and not with pity, but with love and respect for those that are created in the image of him. A really fascinating thing happened to me while we were there at the uh, the Cherry Blossom Festival. My boys and also were sitting watching a, a play. We were about to leave. This was the last thing we were doing. They watched this little play. And, and I was standing off, kind of off the back, where it was a much thinner group of people. Uh, and because the dog was with me and, and he was anxious and there was a lot going on. So we were just kind of sitting back there, just hanging out. There were people coming by. And uh, I got a little golden doodle, and he's a, uh, not little, but I got a golden doodle, and he's, uh, he seems to be, people like to see him and talk to him and pet him. And sometimes he lets him, sometimes. This, this couple came up we were standing back there and they were just going all you know all how pretty he was and, and all this that and the other and, and they were dressed in some costumes from a certain shows and things like that from that time people that I, I look at them and go I'm not sure why you're dressed like that you know I did say that but we were I was standing there and I had my doctor and, and so she got done uh, kind of talking to Buddy and talking to me the last thing she said to me she said I hope everyone is kind and she just walked on. And I stopped and I was like, like, God, what are you doing? Like, I, I, I'm already struggling with this as it is. What are you, like that? But it's like, it's almost a smack in the face in that moment where we were looking around and we're seeing people and we're judging them for who we think they are, not who they are. And we judge them for what we think they can give to our lives or not give to our lives or produce or not produce. And, and God's saying, you know, hey, they're all people made in my image. And so he invites us to the table to remind us that we're invited just like everybody else with all of our flaws and with all of our sins and with all of our really weird looking clothing, proverbially, to come and gather around the table and to commune with God. Will you pray with me? God, for today I'm thankful. I am thankful for the fact that when you see us, you don't see the mess we've made of our lives, but you see somebody that you've created, that you love, and that you want. Help us to endeavor to be that to your creation, to the people that you've created out there that don't look like us and make us scratch our heads and make us angry, that make us all the things that we can oftentimes 
talk about, understand, or function even with. Help us to be more like you. Awake our hearts. Awake our hearts. Even when we don't want to be woke, awake our hearts and help us to be drawn to what you have called us to be and who you've called us to be. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.